For some reflections this morning. Actually, let me check. Does that sound too loud at the back? No? Not feedback? Okay. Um, reflections and instructions are on the second foundation of mindfulness, which is the foundation of mindfulness of Vedana, or translated into English, the feeling tone of experience. So why don't I read you the piece from the text? Um, Sometimes it's really good to hear the, as close as we can, um, to the simplicity and precision of the teaching. So contemplation of a feeling... And for those of you that don't know, the word bhikkhus is monks, but for here read practitioners, anyone studying the meditative path. And how, bhikkhus, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating feeling as feeling? Here, when a pleasant feeling, when feeling a pleasant feeling, a bhikkhu understands, I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling a painful feeling, a bhikkhu understands, I feel a painful feeling. When feeling a neither painful nor pleasant feeling, he understands, I feel a neither painful nor pleasant feeling. And there's more, right? More detail of how that looks. But basically the um, simplicity of the teachings is saying to us, Your experience, moment to moment, will be either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Anybody else out there had something else since you've arrived here this November? Right? So what I was going to call these reflections was back to the bones. Back to the bones. This contemplation of Vedna, we could say, is the most uh, unglamorous, unesoteric, um, f- looked at from one level teaching. And yet what the Buddha is offering us in stripping it back right to this basic building blocks, we could say, is a profound insight into how samsara is built, how the world of spinning and never resting is built. So he's saying, strip it back. Strip it back to examine your experience moment by moment and you will see it will be one of these three things. And in the contemplation he's saying, know it as it is. Right. So if it's unpleasant, know it as unpleasant. If it's pleasant, know it as pleasant. If it's neutral, know it as neutral. Sounds really simple. Sounds really, really simple. What we notice in the moments that we can, that that is possible, that there is enough (coughs) mindfulness, enough steadiness, enough presence to recognize that, that what can start to happen is we start to see more clearly 
because normally we're in the um, the reaction to those experiences. The ordinary mind, untrained, is reactive to those experiences. I'll explain a little bit more how we can work with it and what it looks like, but let's look at it first on the level of um, the shift that we make in practice from the worldly orientation, the belief that our answers, our rest, our peace, our um, what it is we seek for, long for, is to be found in the things of our world. So there's some shift we may recognize that what it is I most deeply seek isn't found in the things themselves. We come to spiritual practice. And what we're asked to see again is, is there any way that we're bringing that worldly orientation to our meditative, to our meditative practice? Which means, do you have any gaining idea in your practice? Any gain for you, any gain of, because in, as Chogyam Trungpa called it, spiritual materialism, right, where we're seeking gain on our own behalf. And in the case of this very basic building block of practice, it's are we trying to um, turn and keep and secure and have for me that which is pleasurable? and push away, uh, neglect, reject, seal myself off from that which is unpleasurable. And then with the neutral sensation, the the, uh, ordinary mind's response is that we become disinterested. We kind of space out, we move away from the neutral because it doesn't pull us and it doesn't push us. So we're not that interested from that perspective. So we can see this in our practice where um, there can be in the background the sense of a gaining idea, an idea of gain. And of course we have a a goal and an intention and an orientation and we want to understand. Of course that's all completely valid. But gaining on this level of contact, on this level of experience, of having the experience for me, So another thing the Buddha said, I think, that helps clarify this. He says, fools seek for experience, and the wise seek to understand it. Fools seek for it, of having more of this, less of that. The wise seek to understand it. And that's what the intention of our practice is. So again, if we look at it where, if we take it to the extreme of if our intention is really to maximize the gain of the pleasure and to minimize the impingement of the displeasure, it leads us into a very split place. And there's a lovely story that I read that speaks to this very nicely, I think. It says that... <clears throat> This one is from the Sufi tradition. 
It says Isa one day saw some people sitting miserably on the wall by the roadside. He asked, "What is your affliction?" They said, "We have become like this through our fear of hell." He went on his way and he saw a number of people grouped disconsolately in various postures by the wayside. He said, "What is your affliction?" They said, "Desire for paradise." has made us like this he went on his way until he came to a third group of people they looked like people who had endured much but their faces shone with joy isa asked them what has made you like this they answered the spirit of truth we have seen reality and this has made us oblivious to lesser goals So we're asked to check out and look, is there a way that we're moment to moment trying to gain more of this and push away some of that? Very normal, very, very normal. But when we slow down enough, we can actually start to see it. And that's what's so remarkable. This teaching is both the right back to the bones and it's right there if you know and have looked at the the teaching of dependent origination of the buddha which is the profoundest teaching where this experience of contact and of the vedana the pleasant unpleasant neutral is the place where we can start to um relax the place the window the doorway where we can stop spinning we can stop kicking the wheels of spinning round seeking 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 it's at that very place where experience arises that the reactive mind arises and starts moving on into constant cycles of searching and avoiding So on a practical level let's make it really practical because it is and I think that's what's so um accessible about this on a practical level you're sitting and you're itching right this morning I was sitting and the the outer story is the cats have got fleas and the outer story is i've got bitten all right the experience while i'm sitting is the itching the burning the tearing all right there's the knowledge if i scratch some more it actually makes it worse right you know that when you get bitten you scratch some more the histamine response it makes it worse but the compelling compelling thing in the mind coupled together so my experience in the moment is burning itching coupled with that right in that very moment is the mind's reaction which is ah get it away right the way my body knows how to do that is to scratch right the way my mind knows how to do that is to scratch right normally in the living room at night i don't see all that going on right it's just scratching 
And we could say, well, this is not a big deal. This is not going to make the difference between, you know, liberation and suffering. But don't underestimate, really, what happens there. Because normally what happens, it's unpleasant, and our conditioned response comes in, which is to get it away, whether it's a physical sensation, a sensation in the heart of a feeling tone, of, a, of a, an emotion, of a mental contact. Right? In Buddhist teaching, the mind is another place of contact. If it's unpleasant, the conditioned response is to push it away or to scratch, as it were, physically or metaphorically. We start scratching at it. So normally, it's completely coupled, laminated, we could say, laminated together, the primary experience of contact and the secondary experience of the mind's response. There's a lovely piece here, again, from the Buddha. Very, very simple. He puts it right back to the bones, if I can find it. He says, okay, so if you're untrained, an untrained mind, he says, um, an unenlightened or untrained mind uh, experiences pleasant feelings and unpleasant feelings and neutral feelings. The learned, the trained mind, the noble disciple, even the Buddha, experiences pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings. Then he asks, so what's the difference? Right, what's the difference if when you're enlightened you're not going to have a series of pleasant sensations? You know, what's the difference here? He says when an untrained bhikkhu encounters unpleasant feeling, he grieves, laments, wails, beats his chest and is distraught and distracted therein. Does that ring any bells? He experiences two kinds of feeling, namely in the body and in the mind. Then here's the classic metaphor, which probably many of you know. This is where it comes from. It is as if an archer, someone with bows and arrows, having fired one arrow into a certain man, were then to fire a second arrow. That man would experience pain from both arrows. Such is the unlearned, untrained, unenlightened being. He experiences two kinds of pain, namely bodily and mental. It goes on about how that kind of uh, intersects with the underlying tendencies towards aversion. So I'm sure we'll get there in the course of the month. So on a practical level, what is it to unlaminate, uncouple these two experiences which normally come welded, laminated together? And when they're laminated together, we have our contact, we have the mind's reaction, and then off we go. Right? Off we go in my sitting this morning, that would have been, right, I've got to go and do this, 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 this and this. And of course it's um, uh, appropriate that when I finish the sitting I might need to take care of the cats or whatever it might be. Right? But in the sitting, if I'm really interested to study, I can see how easily the world gets built. My perception of the world gets built 
by the very way I react to this simple experience moment to moment. So, you have an unpleasant experience. There's a very simple uh, formula that I like to remember how to work with that. And it has the uh, initials, what do you call it, when you have the first uh, letter of each remembering thing as a, as a word. What's that called? It's an anagram. It's an anagram. Something like that. One of those things. Acronym. <laughs> Great, an acronym. So it's RAIN, right? The first one, the R, is recognize. Recognize. Which is what our mindfulness is actually uh, supporting. Recognize, oh, this is unpleasant. Or recognize, oh, this is pleasant. Or recognize, oh, this is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. This is already huge. Right? The recognition is a huge step away from the habitual. Right? Which is, if it's pleasant, give me more. How do I get more? How do I keep away those things that are in the way? Recognition. Second step, the A, is the acceptance. Again, this isn't a small thing that you just do, right? But as as an orientation, it's worth remembering. I find it really useful to remember. The acceptance is, oh, it's like this. I may not want it to be like this, or I may want to keep it being like this, But actually, if I land, it's like this. There is a profound rest that can start to come in recognizing it's like this. Then we can start to meet. Then we can be unconditional with a very conditional formation. So recognition, acceptance, it's like this. The third one is I, investigate. And investigation, again, it depends. I'll, I'll speak a little bit if you're doing Brahma Vihara practice or a concentration practice, maybe a little different orientation. But investigation from the perspective of insight meditation practice is be curious. Be curious about what it is that I'm calling unpleasant or pleasant or neutral. Oh, oh wow, it's this kind of burning, burning, tearing sensation in my scalp. And on the surface of my head there's a burning, tearing. As we investigate, it takes us out of the battleground. We can't really be curious about something that we're battling. We're in opposition. When we're in opposition or when we're trying to keep something, we're not curious. Curious has an openness, has a newness, has a freshness, has a, has a, um, slight, has a lightness 
of not knowing. It's like, what is this? What is this that I'm calling the itch? So we come closer, investigate, we get curious about it. That allows us to meet it. And as we stay with something when we're not in battle and not trying to keep it, its nature actually is to change. And then the last one, the N, is non-identification. Right? Not, not identifying. And what that means is not taking this contact to define me. Very often, let's say, if you experience unpleasant um, contact in your body when you're sitting, very easy for us to to go into the, the... Me, basically, builds very, very quickly the story of me. You know, oh my God, what if it's here for the whole month? What am I going to do about that? What a... Non-identifying is seeing if we can be very fresh with it just in the moment. Just in the moment. It doesn't define me. How can it? It's a contact. It's something that arises due to conditions. And if we relax that identification around it, then we have many more possibilities. Then we can respond. Then we're not bound in the old framework then we start to get a taste of a bit more freedom. So the recognition, this is unpleasant, this is pleasant, this is neutral. I didn't speak so much about the conditioned response to neutral sensation, and it's really interesting if you study neutral sensation, neutral Vedana, neutral contact. The habitual response is disinterest, disinclination, moving away, wanting to find something either more juicy or interesting. And while we're doing that, We miss vast swathes of possibility. Because as in practice of deepening, things become more subtle. Things become more subtle. And from our gross mind's point of view, you know, what we start to encounter as something maybe quite uh, quiet or calm or it's not impinging, I don't love it and I don't hate it. We might just move away from that. Learning how to attune ourselves, attune our attention to the neutral quality is to start to make possible vast territory that we normally overlook. Vast territory that can take us ever more deeper into the subtlety of experience. Can in a way reclaim a lot of what we have overlooked in search for Paradise or in the fear of hell, as the story says. So, if you're the mind states that signify it may be neutral are things like boredom, boredom, disinterest, 
there. They're the two main ones where we've kind of distanced ourselves from experience. Oh, walking meditation's boring. Sitting meditation's boring. Talks are boring. My mind's boring. Feeling my breath is boring. Even meta's boring. It's all boring. And that boredom, actually, if we, if we don't recognise it, can lead to a kind of a underlying tendency of a, towards aversion in the end. But boredom, if you can recognise that, that's like a flag that says, come closer, come closer, come closer, become more intimate with your foot as it touches the ground, with the experience of breathing in and out. Come closer. The Buddha talked about when there's neutral sensation and we're disconnected, he said it tends then to unfold into unpleasant. He says, but if it's neutral sensation and we bring attention, it actually tends to unfold into into pleasure. Check it out. (laughs) Of course, most of us prefer pleasure. You know, it's completely fine. And it's wholesome. You know, the, the, the distinction between the worldly pleasure and the unworldly pleasure of uh, concentration and deepening. And of course, if we're grasping at that, we'll see that somewhere along the line. But I think one thing we have to be careful of with this whole uh, study of Vedana uh, is a couple of things. One is that it can sound really dry. You read it, can sound really dry. Oh gosh, I used to hear the teaching and it was like, is that it? Is that what my life is? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? Come on, you know, what about love? Or Where's the juice in all of that? And I would encourage you, if this is part of the contemplation of where you're looking and where you're working, um, to see what is the juice in it for you. Because actually it isn't dry at all. It's a profound tool of toward freedom. If we love the truth, if we love deepening, if we love what's possible, then this lens of looking, oh, okay, it's, un- it's unpleasant right now and I'm reacting or tightening or shrinking or hardening or battling or seeing where our heart might be in that where our love of what brings us initially to practice, where that is in this. might be in the gratitude for having such a teaching. It might be as we experience it for ourselves and see, wow, wow, I'm not bound to just keep spinning. I can really see that as I unhook from the habitual response. And the other thing to be watchful of, I think, is to not try and flatline our experience. Again, we can hear a teaching like this, and like, okay, it's all pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, right? As if we're kind of observing a little distant, and there we see all this, here's the world, that's it. Right? And what I mean by that is that as we deepen and stay with a practice, a practice there can be more pleasure. If we're, let's say, studying a concentration practice right now, a samadhi practice, or at times as we start to deepen into subtlety 
of experience of body and mind, there can be more pleasure. And it's really important to let that pleasure work on us when it arises. So we're not using the contemplation of Vedana to sort of distance ourselves and to say, okay, it's only pleasure. It's not liberation. I'm not supposed to be seeking pleasure. What does it mean to skillfully receive the wholesome, nourishing, deepening quality of when we do access the refinement in body and mind that can have a pleasurable um, Vedana at times? So the skillful practice with the Vedana is to really let it be there. The Buddha talks plenty about letting the pleasure of seclusion steep, fill, pervade, ooze, fill the body. Remembering that the real issue for us in our practice, in our life, is where the, the grasping is. And if we're open then for the pleasure, and it's really interesting if you look in your own mind, some of us also have a difficulty in really opening to the pleasure. It's not just a displeasure that we're averse to. But if we make ourselves open to the pleasure and learn how to do that, that's a learning, a moment-by-moment learning of letting ourselves be impacted by that then we can be open also to the unpleasant. And there may be whole eras in our practice, if you like, eras of either hours or days or weeks where, or months where we're dealing with something unpleasant in body and mind. What does that mean to really accept that as our territory? where we can really learn the lessons of unlaminating these two arrows. That yet, even the Buddha had backache. You know, liberation didn't mean he avoided his backache, apparently. Right? But that place where we start to spin and build that sense of separation, that's the bit that we can really study and understand and see. I want to read you a true story from Ajahn Sachito. Some of you have heard this from me many times. He's one of my teachers. And he just kind of puts the Vedana um, exploration into a real human, practical, because it is. Right? It's, not, it's not removed from you. It's very human, it's very practical, and it's right here. Right? So this is from a long time ago. And it's an extract from a talk he gave in Bodhgaya in 1991. He says, Many years ago, I had this particular pain in my right shoulder. I would sit. Pain, I would think. Be with the pain. That will do it. Here I am, being with the pain. Being with the pain. It's not working, you know. Maybe I need to do some yoga. Ah, that's got it. No, oh no, cushion. One cushion, two cushions, three, four cushions. Angle the cushions to the left. Angle the cushions to the right. Doctor, you've got to help me. Chiropractor, osteopath. 
Five years I had this pain. I had an extremely active and ingenious mind at trying to find every possible way to wriggle out of the fact that pain hurts and I don't like it. A very obvious truth, yet I hadn't actually come to that. Accepted what one glosses over in a few words. I don't like pain. Instead, I had acted on I don't like pain. I hadn't actually examined the experience of not liking pain. I tried to think, well, you should like pain. Pain is good for you. Or pain is bad, make it go away. But I hadn't really looked into, I do not like. One day, sitting in meditation, I thought, this is it, the showdown. I'm going to sit here for five hours and I'm going to get over this thing. Pain, pain, wriggle, wriggle. Why did I say that? Why five hours? After all, the middle way and all of that. Hours go by. Two hours. Three hours. Three hours and one minute. After four hours, I was so sick of this pain. My mind had been through all the various circuits of be nice to it, be friendly with it, kill it. And it came back to, oh God, this pain. And finally, the mind just rested. I got tired out, I guess. Eventually, ignorance does get tired. And after a while, it has to take a break from being ignorant. And instead of ignoring it or repressing it, I actually began to open to it. Without the, let's open to it and make it go away. Or, let's open to it and that will make me go into some kind of cosmic space. But just, oh, all right. Then I began to see this sensation throbbing away and it began to appear in my mind as a kind of glowing light, throbbing, tearing, a tearing experience. And then because of the choice less attention to it, I began to notice, well, there's that. And then there's this terrible kind of, no, no, no feeling going on. Oh, resistance. Then with that, a whole lot of bitterness towards the body. Bitterness towards pain. Oh, pain, I don't like it. It shouldn't happen to me. What did I do? I'm sitting here trying to be peaceful. Pain, go away. And this kind of moaning mind. As I contemplated my relationship to this sensation, it became clear to me that there was nothing I could do with the sensation. But I could stop beating it with my mind. I began to have this experience of deep regret for all the beatings and the kickings that this mind had imposed upon life, upon this body, upon itself, upon its thoughts, telling it to shut up, telling it to be this way. And I felt like this whole system was like some mangy dog that had never really been loved and had just been told what to do and beaten. And in fact, this vision arose in my mind of this dog a kind of mangy, hungry wolf looking at me, saying, how long are you going to keep beating me for? I felt this sense of deep regret that there should be so much intolerance and hardness towards life. In my mind's eye, something in me reached out to this creature and started to pat it and to say, please forgive me. Then this creature turned into a cartoon dog and we were dancing. Me and this pain, me and the pain, and then the whole thing just exploded. 
very gently, and the pain disappeared. It seemed to say thank you, finally. I've been knocking on your door for five years. Thank you for opening. Thank you for recognizing that the problem was, I do not like, I will not accept, I will not open to you. if you are taking on this contemplation of Vedana, the second foundation of mindfulness, to, and sometimes it's a necessity, right? It's our tool for working with unpleasant sensation. It's a framework for working with pleasure, and it's a support when we're disconnected, which usually means there's some contact we're not quite with. If you're taking on this contemplation of Vedana, hold the balance between where it is a study in a way, it is a moment to moment study in our experience it's not, a, it's not an intellectualizing of it it's a, wow, right now it's, it's unpleasant can I accept that? can I investigate? can I not make it into me? So it is this investigation, this coming close, this study, but at the same time with a relaxation. Right? The study that comes close, but the relaxation of, oh, okay. Right, it will be like this till I die. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. I don't have to kind of suss it all out, right, this moment. That we can relax. We can breathe out. We can give plenty of room to this human experience, which all of us in this room, all beings, all sensitive beings share. The partaking of pleasure, unpleasure, and the neutral. So giving ourselves a big field for this, a big pasture, that we don't become tight with it as a way of trying to get out of suffering giving ourselves a big generous pasture and relaxing as much as we're able with this contemplation so it's relevant for all of us whether we're doing samadhi practice brahma viharas insight meditation it's particularly pertinent in the insight meditation instruction um, which is practice for insight, right? In insight meditation, we do often make the intention to stay with the unpleasant, to take resolves for stillness in order to be there with the whole range of experience, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And this is powerful and deepens us in a particular way. 
if we're orienting and have made the intention for, towards samadhi practice this month, it's still relevant because our experience is still pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Right? But then working with your teacher on the different orientations to supporting, in a way, the deepening um, in the subtlety of experience that we're not always investigating investigation that, that that comes and that the samadhi is a platform for investigation but we're not um, having that as an initial in orientation and with the Brahma Vihara's practice also one of the instructions so if you're doing metta or karuna or mudita or peka practice one of the instructions with it is that you don't always have to stay with the difficult bodily contact you can Change the posture. You can put yourself in a posture that... um, Basically, you're not having to investigate and be with the difficult. It's not the the same orientation. So just to be clear when we're beginning a sitting, what we're dedicating that to, that there is a power in the resolve to be with and stay with whatever happens. You know, I'll sit here and let my knee burn. Or... um, whatever it may be. In insight meditation, one orientation again, if you notice you're cultivating a battleground, it's not useful. Shift the posture, begin again. But very often we can stay with much more than we think, not out of stoicism or martyrdom, but if there's the interest to explore what the mind is doing here then it's a wonderful cultivation. So, thank you for your practice, whichever, whatever you're orienting towards right now, and whether this reflection is relevant here and now for you, or at some point, um, my wish is that it be for your benefit deepening and then finally just to say that at 11.45 there's an optional small group for anyone who wants to come Um, can't remember where it's scheduled for which room, does anyone know? library Library, Okay. so come a few minutes before and set up a a ring of chairs if you're coming so we can be ready to begin at quarter two Um, And it may be that you have something you want to ask about or not. I may also want to come and lend an ear. Uh, You're welcome in whichever capacity you come. So it's not like in a group group retreat where we usually like to hear from each one of you um, because that's our way of checking in with you. This is kind of extra, right? So don't feel obliged to speak in any way. You may may want to lend an ear or there may be something you want to speak about. So see some of you then and some one-to-ones and I wish you a rich day of making contact with yourself, whatever is here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.